All right, welcome back to the listener's commentary on the Gospel of Matthew. In this recording, we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 34. And to keep that in context, we need to remember where we're at in the overall teaching that we know as the Sermon on the Mount. We're in what I like to think of as the second main section of the body of the sermon. The first main section was that second half of chapter 5, where Jesus gave some examples of surpassing righteousness. Now, beginning in chapter 6, Jesus is laying out some barriers to surpassing righteousness. And we explored the first barrier in our last recording in chapter 6, verses 1 through 18. And that barrier had to do with keeping up religious appearances doing righteousness to be noticed by other people, to look good. That was that first barrier. That'll keep you from surpassing righteousness. You're just doing righteous deeds for what people think of you, and you're not going to be deeply transformed on the inside. Here in chapter 6, 19 through 34, Jesus explores the second barrier. And that barrier has to do with our focus and what we're pursuing, specifically whether or not we're focused on God's kingdom versus the world around us and material treasures. And this teaching really falls into two parts. So you have chapter 6, 19 through 24, that's the first part. And then chapter 6, 25 through 34. That's the second part. And both of these parts uh, focuses on what we seek and what we're pursuing in life. Possessing surpassing righteousness requires that we focus and seek God's kingdom and the things of heaven, not the things of earth. And so Jesus says this in chapter 6, verse 19. He says, do not store up for yourself Treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Literally, the phrase do not store up for yourself treasures on earth is do not treasure up for yourself treasures on earth. So you have the verb form of treasure and then you have the noun form of treasure. Don't treasure up treasures. And it's this picture of trying to pile up treasures for yourself, specifically treasures on earth, treasures that have to do with the earthly sphere, the earthly world, the things of this world around us. And there's a practical reason for it. Not just is it not good for your soul and your spiritual well-being and gaining surpassing righteousness. Jesus tells us that it's not even practical. Look what he says at the end of verse 19. Where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. In other words, storing up treasures on earth is impractical because earthly treasures are vulnerable to destruction and loss. So if we're trying to secure our life, that's the idea. If we're trying to secure our life by acquiring stuff, by protecting our stuff, by having enough stuff, Jesus says, guess what? It won't work. It's a fool's errand because the stuff of earth wears out, breaks down, is uh, uh, subject to destruction, rust, corrosion, uh, people stealing it, right? Like it's vulnerable to destruction and loss. So Jesus says... Here's what you should do. Verse 20, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Now, let's pause right there before we read the rest of the verse and just think about this contrast between treasures on earth and treasures in heaven. We need to think really clearly about this because it's easy in our kind of modern way of thinking to think of heaven as the place we're going to go after we die. And it's true, uh, if Christ doesn't come back before um, 
you know, we die, we will go to heaven before there's a new heavens and a new earth, right? But that's not quite the point here. The point on earth or in heaven is in this present world versus in God's realm. That's the idea of in heaven. Heaven is where God rules and reigns completely and totally, where God dwells right now. And in the picture of the book of Revelation, eventually there's going to be like a new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven to earth, and there'll be a new earth and all that. So it's not that earth is bad and heaven is good. It's We're talking about two realms, the present world and this present fallen world and the things of this world. That's on earth. And in heaven is where God is. That's why Jesus can say in Luke chapter 12 that what we should aim towards is being rich towards God. That phrase, being rich towards God, is the same idea as storing up treasures in heaven. And so don't store up treasures on earth. Instead, store up treasures for yourself in heaven. Be rich towards God where, notice this, neither moth or rust destroys or where thieves don't break in and steal. Being rich in the things of God is actually the only way to secure your well-being and your life. Like being rich in this world, uh, that makes you vulnerable to loss and destruction and all sorts of things. Being rich towards God, then your life and your ambitions and the things that matter to you, they're safe and secure in heaven where neither rust or moth destroys, where thieves don't break in and steal. And so your life is much more secure. Then Jesus gives the rationale for it, and this rationale is crucial. Look what he says in verse 21. He says, for, circle that, right? That, that's explaining, that's giving the reason. Why should you do this? Why should you uh, make sure that the energies of your life are focused on being rich towards God and storing up treasure in his realm? Why? Well, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Notice what Jesus is saying. He's saying that our heart follows our treasure. And in the biblical language, the heart is not so much the seat of your emotions as it is the center of your being. It's the control center of your personhood. So when he says your heart will be there also, what he's saying is your will and your motivational structures and the control center of your life will be focused on the things that you treasure. Our heart, our control center, follows the things that we treasure. This is just practically true. What we treasure is what we work towards. What we value and treasure is what we worry about, what we think about, what we pursue, right? That, that's just the way it is. What we treasure becomes the thing that we focus our time, our energy, and our life on. And so Jesus' point here is, is uh, this is critical. If you're going to really be a disciple of Jesus, if you're going to acquire that surpassing righteousness, then your heart needs to be set on the proper kind of thing. And so your treasure, uh, if it's focused on God's things and on heaven, then your heart's going to be focused on that as well. The control center of your life will be as well. And then what Jesus does in verses 22 and following is he gives an analogy. It's a little bit confusing. You have to just pause and think about what he's doing as we read it. We have to kind of read it slowly. But Jesus gives an analogy to help us see really how bad of a problem this is. Like if we're, if our vision, if our focus is fixed on the things of earth, that's a real problem. And Jesus illustrates that with this analogy. And it's an analogy that plays off of 
physical vision and then spiritual and moral vision. That's the bit that gets a little confusing. So let's just read it and make some comments as we go. He says in verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. That's obvious, right? There's an obvious connection between your eyes and light and darkness. Scholars sometimes get kind of caught up in what's the exact force of the imagery Jesus is using. I don't think we need to worry too much about that. All we need to acknowledge is there's an obvious connection between your eyes and light. Close your eyes and everything gets dark, right? Uh, if a person is blind, the problem is, is no light gets into their eyes. The, the light feature of their eyes doesn't function, right? The eye is the lamp of the body. So then, Jesus goes on, if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. If you're, in other words, if your eye is, some even translate this way, it's healthy. If your eye works, it's going to bring light into your body, right? That's just, we know that. There's a connection between your eye and light. So if your eyes are working properly, if they're clear, then your whole body will experience the light that your eye brings. This connection between a healthy eye and light is true physically for your body. It's also true morally and spiritually. If your eye is clear, if, it, if your spiritual eye is clear, you're going to be walking in the light. Uh, in fact, the word clear literally is single. And that's really important in view of how this section ends, where Jesus is going to make a point about two masters. If your eye is single, that is, if it's not split, if it's not divided, if it's focused on the right thing, spiritually and morally speaking. But, verse 23, if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. Again, this is true physically. If your eye doesn't work properly, darkness, right? But it's also true spiritually. In fact, the word bad here is literally the word evil. And having an evil eye in the ancient context when discussing wealth was actually an idiom for being greedy and stingy. And so it, we're in the context of wealth and possessions, that's what he's talking about. And so in this kind of context in the ancient world, to talk about an evil eye meant you were greedy and stingy. And so we got to keep that in mind as Jesus uses this analogy between physical sight physical eyes, and then spiritual and moral sight as well. Don't be greedy and don't be stingy. And so now Jesus makes the point of why this is such a problem. He says, so if the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? In other words, morally speaking, when you go about life and you think you see you think you're actually seeing things properly, but you're actually wrong. You actually have a not single eye, a split eye. You actually have an unhealthy bad eye or a greedy, stingy eye in the context of wealth. When you go about life morally and you think you see, but you really don't, you're walking in darkness and how dark and blind you really are. That's the point Jesus is making. You think you're in the light, but you're actually in the dark. And since you don't know any better, how are you ever going to solve the problem? And that's the force of Jesus' words. And then Jesus ties it all together by stating what this has to do with storing up treasures on earth versus storing up treasures in heaven. He says in verse 24, no one can serve two masters. Rather than their eye being single, it's double. They've got a bad case of double vision, and it just won't work. For either, if you try to serve two masters, either he will hate the one 
and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. That's just the way it works. You get two people calling the shots, calling orders, right? Telling you what to do. And what they're telling you to do is two different things. And it's like, you don't know what to do. And you're being pulled in two different directions. And you're going to love the one and hate the other. And then Jesus says, you cannot serve God and wealth. And that's the connection between this analogy of light, the eyes, single, good eyes, bad eyes, and what Jesus is talking about in this section. Your eye needs to be single, singly focused on the things of God and the things of heaven, not on the things of this world, because you cannot serve God and wealth. And the word serve is actually serve as like a servant, serve as like a slave, right? Like where you have a master and you're going to take instructions from it because you can't have two masters. And this is really important in our world, it seems to me, we need to hear this, that wealth is not neutral. Wealth is a master. Wealth is a power that vies for control of our life. And we have to choose God or wealth, God or possessions. And that's the point Jesus is making. What are you going to choose? Are you going to be pursuing God? Is your eye going to be singly focused on him so that you serve him and him only? Or are you going to be split? Say you want to serve God, but you're also pursuing stuff and wealth and, and all the things that go with that. Treasures on earth versus treasures in heaven. Now, before we look at the second half, the second part of Jesus' teaching on the danger of money and stuff, let's just pause for a few reflections on what Jesus' teaching shows us he believed about wealth. Look at the ways Jesus describes money and stuff. He, he describes it as temporary, fleeting, vulnerable, moth and rust destroy. It comes, it goes, clothes wear out, cars break down, computers need replaced. He says it's vulnerable, thieves break in and steal. It's susceptible to so many things, thievery, fires destroy homes, the stock market crash, the real estate bubble bursts, right? It's vulnerable. He also says that money and stuff is deceitful or blinding, like full of darkness. Money and stuff clouds your vision and you don't see straight. Now your, your life is marked by darkness. He even says money and stuff is domineering, even enslaving. It, it, it's, a, it's a master that's vying for control of your life. And so the question for us is, does Jesus know what he's talking about? Is Jesus smart? And if so, then we need to listen to his wisdom about money and stuff and say, I'm going to trust you on this one, Jesus, because I think you actually know what you're talking about. I'm going to believe what you say about it, and I'm going to singly set my eyes where it's supposed to go. So the first thing Jesus taught us here is that if we would possess surpassing righteousness, we need to examine what treasure we are seeking to acquire. And then he continues by showing what his followers should do to make sure we're seeking and treasuring God rather than wealth and stuff. So he says in verse 25, for this reason I say to you, literally because of this, on account of this, that is because treasures on earth are shaky and vulnerable because they blind and deceive because you can't serve God and wealth. That's the connection. So because you can't serve God and wealth and wealth is so unpredictable and shaky and vulnerable, he says, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat 
or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. I'm like The basic things of life. That's what he's focusing on. What you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear. Very basic provisions. And he says, stop being anxious about those things. That's the force when he says, do not be worried. It's stop being anxious about those kinds of things. And he's going to explain why and what follows. And we've already gotten hints of it and what's preceded. So he goes on and says, is life not more than food and the body more than clothing? This really is like his first reason for this. Stop being anxious about that because life is way more than food and drink and the body's way more than just clothes. You can have plenty of food, you can have lots of nice clothes and still not have a life. Having life consists of more than these things. So even if you're pursuing all that stuff, as he just talked about in the preceding part, you can get all those things and still miss out on life. Life is more than that. So Jesus gives us some encouragement by means of illustrations from the world around us. Probably as he's sitting there on the hillside giving this message, he points to these things. He can see them right around him. And so he points to them. And so the first illustration is about birds and it focuses on worrying about food and drink. He says in verse 26, look at the birds. So picture him gesturing towards the birds that are around or that they can hear singing uh, behind them. Look at the birds of the sky. They don't sow, that is, they don't plant, they don't reap, they don't harvest, they don't gather crops into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more important than they? Or are you not more valuable than them? Like, if your heavenly Father attends to their needs and makes sure that they have food to eat, don't you think your heavenly Father can also care for you since you're more valuable than the birds? That's the idea. And notice that this rests squarely on our Heavenly Father. Jesus taught us to pray, our Father in Heaven. We need to know God as Father. We need to know that we're valuable to Him. And that will help us not worry, like the birds. And so Jesus says in verse 27, And which of you, by worrying, can add a single day to your life span? Uh, literally, when he says add a single day to his lifespan, it's add, a, add to his life stature one cubit. A cubit was a unit of measure for length. So we might say uh, one foot to his life stature or one meter to your life stature. It's that idea. And the idea probably is that worrying doesn't add any length to your life. Which of you, by worrying about these things, can actually lengthen your life at all? And then Jesus goes on and gives a second illustration. This one is from the flowers around them on the hillside, and it focuses on clothing. He says in verse 28, And why are you worried about clothing? Notice how the lilies of the field grow. They don't labor, nor do they spin thread for cloth. And yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. Who's Solomon? Well, Solomon was one of the richest and grandest kings in Israel's history. So Jesus recalls that to mind and says, think about Solomon in all his grandeur, in all his glory, with all his fine clothing and all the wealth of his palace. Think about him. And guess what? Not even Solomon uh, clothed himself with the, the glory that you see in all these wildflowers right around you here on this hillside. And these flowers, 
they're they're not anxiously you know trying to spin some thread and make some clothes and buy clothes and get all that stuff and yet look at them they're beautiful and they're glorious and so jesus says in verse 30 but if god so closes the grass of the field which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace his point is like It's short term, like it springs up in the spring and when the heat of summer comes, it's gone. It's just there for a few weeks and then it's over. And if God closed the grass of the field that's so short term like that, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? It's the same point he made with the birds. Like you're more valuable to God than the the grass of the field and the flowers of the field. So don't you think he's going to take care of you since he also takes care of them? Notice a little phrase at the end of verse 30 where he says, you have little faith. Literally, it's one word in Greek. It's just little faiths. It kind of appears to be a nickname that Jesus gave his disciples to kind of chide them and challenge them a little bit. They don't have no faith like some people in the gospel. Uh, They don't have great faith like other people. They have little faith. And so he calls them little faiths. Uh, Won't he clothe you, little faiths? And so he says, do not worry then, saying, what are we to eat? What are we to drink? What are we to wear? Don't worry about that. For, verse 32, the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. And that word Gentiles here stands in contrast to God's people, those who don't know the the true God, who don't know God as a loving father who's involved with their life. So they're seeking after all these things. They're, They're spinning their wheels and worrying and working hard to secure their life with food and drink and clothes and all the things. But you, you know God. So the Gentiles seek after those things. But verse 32, the second half says, for your heavenly father knows that you need all these things. And so we saw in the Lord's Prayer that we address God as our Father in heaven. We center our our lives on this key fact that God is a loving, good Father who's involved in our life. He knows what we need. He He can provide our daily bread. He knows what's best for us. And so we entrust our life to his care. For your heavenly Father knows that you need these things. So what should you focus on if you're not supposed to be focusing on these things to the point that you're worried about them and seeking after them? What should you seek? Look at verse 33. Seek first his kingdom. That's God's kingdom, your father's kingdom. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, his uh, purposes for this world, his saving justice, his way of being in a right relationship with others and with himself and with uh, the, the stuff of this world. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things, that is all these basic provisions of life will be provided to you, food, drink, and clothes. This is what Jesus' followers are supposed to seek. This is the antidote to worry and the key to possessing surpassing righteousness. That we seek first God's kingdom and God's righteousness. That's our priority. That's the the single thing we're focused on with our good eye. So rather than seeking treasures on earth and even worrying about basic necessities of life, store up treasure in heaven by seeking first God's kingdom and God's righteousness. And then Jesus ends this section with an encouraging summary. He says in verse 34, So don't worry about tomorrow, 
for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So rather than pulling tomorrow's trouble into today, just today, let's just deal with today. And today, let's seek first Jesus' kingdom and his righteousness. And so as we end this section, let's just reflect on what treasure do we seek? As followers of Jesus, we place our hope and our safety and our security in God's kingdom and God's righteousness. He is our Heavenly Father. He's faithful. And so we place our hope and safety and security and trust with Him. And this is how we store up treasures in heaven. Because our treasure is there with our Father, with our our wise, good God who knows everything we need. Because our treasure is there as our highest priority, we invest in it. We devote ourselves to it. We think about it. We plan for it. Uh, We plan in keeping with it. And this is also the prescription to worry. Instead of worrying about food and drink and clothes, we seek God's kingdom. And we have made God king. He reigns in and through our life. That's what we focus on. And that's our true treasure. And that will help us acquire surpassing righteousness. All right. Thanks for tuning into this session on the listener's commentary. The Listener's Commentary is a listener-supported, crowdfunded Bible teaching ministry that only exists because of people's generous support. So thanks a ton for your support. If you want to join the team of supporters, you can swing over to listenerscommentary.com and you can click the Give button or you can sign up for the Study Hub. Either one uh, works for supporting the ministry and all monthly donors get access to the courses and some additional material inside the Study Hub. Thanks a ton for your support.